What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, and I am joined by Nicole Yang, who, from what I understand, has quite a lot to say about the uh, Celtics' overtime loss to the New Orleans Pelicans. So, Nicole, what uh, what are your thoughts? Well, that's quite the intro. Like, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to. Everyone needs to lower their expectations right now before I start speaking. <laughs> But no, I was ready to declare this the positivity hour. I was ready to rave about Robert Williams and Aaron Neesmith. Then, you know, they blew a 24-point lead. It was the biggest comeback in Pelicans history. I'm not sure how long Pelicans history, franchise history is, but it was the biggest for them. So all around, just like the same words we used for the Wizards loss, like embarrassing, inexcusable, just rough. Like, at some point, you have to just wonder, like, what this team actually is, right? This is, like, it sounds reductive because we keep doing this over and over and over and over and over and over. Like, they have, they'll put together one decent game, then they're garbage again. Like, it's different than the 2018-19 season because the 2018-19 season, there was, like, an abundance of talent. But the similarity is that every time, you know, they show some sign of positivity, they show just enough to make you think that, like, maybe this team could be decent. And it's like, yeah. Kemba Walker's been coming on strong and maybe Kemba Walker is, you know, is good to go. And maybe Kemba Walker being good to go is what this team needed to become, you know, a good team again. And then like right on cue, they blow yet another fourth quarter lead. And like, I'm sorry, it's just going to be hard to take this team at all seriously until they can close out a game. Like you can't just keep blowing these leads and expect people to think like every single lead you take for the rest of the season is going to feel tenuous and I don't, like, I think the players feel that. I'm sure, like, the coaches will feel that. Like, I don't, I think it's going to be a thing now. It's just going to be, like, no matter what your lead is, no, uh, no matter what it is, like, you are the fourth quarter team that, that was minus 6.5 or something like that in net rating before tonight. So, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't believe in this team. You can, you can put it on whatever you want. You can say it's Kemba Walker's knee. Like, you can say that it's plenty of people want to be like, Brad Stevens needs to get fired. And, like, I don't think that. <laughs> but, like, Whatever it is, this team just is not is not good enough. And, you know, take that for whatever you want. There's 30 NBA teams. One of them is going to be a champion. And generously, like, five of them are contenders. You can't possibly look at this Celtics team and think, I don't think you can look at this Celtics team and think they're one piece away. They are not contenders. That's just what it is this year. So a lot of things there. For the, for the listener at home, I was talking. Nicole opened her mouth like she had something to say, and I just ran straight ahead through it. So. <laughs> no, I'm glad you got everything out. I agree that there are definitely shades of the 2018-19 season. You hear Jalen Brown no commenting to questions about isolation, whether people know what to do after the first action breaks down, and he did that again tonight. So definitely shades. I think the difference, and I agree with you, I think the difference is that the 2018-19 season was clearly an underachievement. For whatever reason, it just didn't work, but that was clearly an underachieving team. 
This Celtics team, however, might just like be bad. Like it's not so much about them underachieving. They might just be mediocre. The comparisons in terms of vibe are similar. However, I don't think there's reason to believe that the light's going to like switch for this team in the same way that everybody was holding out for the 2018-19 team to come into like full form. Exactly. And the reason, of course, is that the 2018-19 team had Terry Rozier playing like 10 minutes off the bench. Like they had so much talent and this team just doesn't. This team has is so top heavy and drops off a cliff after that. Right. And then if you go back to Danny Ainge's comments on Toucher and Rich last Thursday, it makes sense why in the 2018-19 season, he would defend the team through all of these struggles and losses to inferior teams because they had Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, obviously not the same level, but they were still like budding superstars at that point. Marcus Morris, Daniel Tice, like they had a loaded team. So you could believe him when he was like, no, like, I still think that there's hope for us come postseason. And then now he can't even say it himself that he believes that this team can win a title because when you look at the roster, it's like, how would you believe him? He had all the excuses at his disposal and he still chose to say, I don't think that this team can win a title. The messaging from the coaches and players has been like, I still believe in us. Like, I still think we can do it. Whether they actually believe that, I mean, who knows? Obviously they come from different positions, so maybe they do. But I agree with you there that maybe this team just is mediocre. If this team is mediocre, there's a lot of interesting kind of uh, branches off of that, right? If this team is mediocre, I don't think you can use the traded player exception at the deadline because like there isn't one player who I think can fix this. And if, if there isn't one player who can fix all of this and, and look, maybe you could make the case that Harrison Barnes plus, you know, Marcus Smart or Aaron Gordon plus Marcus Smart fixes this. And I'm willing to listen to that. Jalen and Jason are so good. Kemba Walker is, you know, again, there were four good games there. And so now he's in a confusing spot where I don't know what sample size to believe. I don't know if I believe the first 10 games where reasonably he could be saying, like, I'm trying to work myself back into shape. And then the four games where it was like, okay, reasonably you could say, hey, he looks better now. And then he goes out and has tonight's game. And even tonight's game, there were things that he did, or this afternoon's game, I guess, there were things that he did that I was like, oh, that's encouraging. You know, he's still starting to get some of those layups to fall. The problem for him was that he went one for 12 from three, which is abysmal, but not necessarily a sign of like his knee failing him or anything like that. Like, that's just like, you go one for 12 from three. It's like, well, he was trying to shoot himself back into it and he just couldn't, I guess. And and to me, that's where this all comes down to is if Danny Ainge thinks that Aaron Gordon or whoever he gets from the TPE plus Marcus Smart makes them a contender, then sure, you go out and you do it at the deadline. If you don't think that, then you have to wait till the offseason because you don't want to just like waste the TPE on nothing or on something that isn't going to do it for you when better options might be available this offseason. That was going to be my argument when I was going to declare this the positivity hour. Aaron Neesmith has really turned a corner recently. Somehow Brad has convinced him like you have to die on the court in order to get minutes. And he is playing to that. He is out there hustling. He's grabbing rebounds. He is really trying his hardest and it actually is paying off. Yeah, no, I mean, he is. And, and, and I mean, you know, we're starting to see like he's hit a couple of threes in the last couple of games. Like I'm fascinated by this. I actually, I I think that this is something that Celtics do. And, you know, I I wish I really, I I hate that we can't ask people questions anymore. Like that we can't like get, you know, like one-on-ones with these guys. But it feels to me like that this is like a plan that the Celtics run often where they will draft somebody. And instead of letting the guy play to his strengths, 
they like try to build up some of the things that he's not as good at. And then, and then you start to unleash him. Like, you know, I think about Terry Rozier, who I think was one of their, you know, biggest success stories. His first couple of years, they said, look, we need you to go out there and just play like hellish defense. Like just be really good on that end. Maybe knock down some trees. Terry turned himself into like a guy who could shoot and play defense. And then, you know, during the 2017, 18 season, he became a guy who could, you know, run the floor a little bit because he, he was a point guard. He was somebody who could handle the ball and who could, you know, score off the dribble a little bit. You know, I, I think that's kind of the playbook they're running for uh, Romeo Langford, where they're having him spot up in the corner and shoot threes and they're having him play a lot of defense. And eventually down the road, maybe he is somebody who can develop into somebody who can create, you know, do all the things he was doing in high school, slash to the hoop, all that kind of stuff with the ball in his hands. Same thing for Aaron Neesmith. You know, we're seeing him just play like crazy defensively. Like he's been pretty darn good, like rookie or not rookie defensively. Like he's just been good. And, and eventually I think they'll start to work him into like start, start to have him start running off screens and have him start to do some of these things that he has the potential to do. But it actually makes a lot of sense to build up a young player on all the things that he can't do and then turn him into somebody who can do other things as well. In addition to the things that he was good at coming out of college. I think that's like a, if that's what they're doing, I think the game plan actually makes a lot of sense from a developmental standpoint. Yeah, it definitely seems like in a Brad Stevens system, if you're a rookie and cannot play defense, you're not seeing the floor. It's funny because I asked a couple of Celtics players that specifically and last year, obviously, and they actually, they actually did not agree. Like, and I asked, I remember I asked Marcus this, you, you are given a role to play, you know, Brad will give you a role to play and you have to play that role. And for some guys, it is that, you know, it's like some guys, it is like play really good defense, but for other guys, it's not, you know, it's just, you just have to execute the thing that Brad tells you to do you know, accomplish that task and then you'll get on the floor. And so certainly there are, for some guys, it is defense. Um, but, you know, I think for, you know, like <laughs> it's hard to come up with an example, but yeah, like, you know, like uh, I would imagine that Taco Falls thing is probably not like to get him on the floor, whatever that is, it probably isn't just defense. Cause that is the thing that you're hoping that Taco can do anyway. You know? Okay. Tom, you're picking like the biggest anomaly in the NBA <laughs> to make your point. But <laughs> Regardless, Aaron Neesmith has shown that he can contribute on the defensive end, which is obviously valuable. And, and to your point, I think Aaron is, Neesmith has clearly been told by Brad that defense is the thing. So yes. <laughs> and I think that was the same thing with Romeo and Grant Williams. Anyway, so back to the positivity hour though. Aaron Neesmith, Robert Williams, the potential of Romeo Langford coming back, and obviously Peyton Pritchard's consistent contributions had me a little hopeful. Obviously, when those are the four players that you're betting on, that's a bit of a risky move. Maybe they can muster enough to put forth a strong run. But I mean, when you look at the stats, sometimes it's just hard to continue with like blind faith. Celtics ranked 29th in the league in fourth quarter net rating, 29th in the league in bench scoring. This is 29 out of 30, of course. So (laughs) second to last. (laughs) Quite bad. And they haven't won back-to-back games. Like, they haven't won two games in a row since January 24th and January 25th. As much as we want to believe that they're better than this and that they can achieve more. Like, yeah, I don't think that they're bad enough that they should have lost to the Wizards in the way that they did. But maybe we're holding them to too high of a standard. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at when I talk about, like, the contenders. It might just be unreasonable to have high expectations of this team. And like, that's, that doesn't jive with kind of the linear process. When, when you look at this team, you think to yourself like, oh, well, you know, Jalen and Jason keep getting better every single year. So the team should keep getting better every single year when Jalen and Jason are ascending. And it's just like, 
that might just not be the case. Like, I mean, look, like the, the Celtics lost their chance at a super team when Kyrie left. Maybe they lost their chance at a contender when Gordon Hayward left. That's just tough. We talked, you know, last time we did a podcast about kind of the zero sum game of all of this. And it's, there can be reasons for everything. And that doesn't change the reality. You know, there can be every excuse in the book and, and it can all be valid and you, your, your players can be tired and you can be dealing with everything. But like at the end of the day, if you lose and players are frustrated, it just is what it is. I don't know if the players are frustrated because again, we're not in the locker room, but like sure sound starting to sound like it. You know, I mean, Jalen today saying that like the Celtics need to grow up a little bit. That's pretty pointed. This is not a happy team and it's it, you can't blame them. Like, of course, they're not happy. They're losing. Right. And this season is weird enough that I wouldn't be surprised if they turn it around. Yeah, for sure. It's weird though, right? Because like, okay, what would turning it around look like? It could happen. So like, I think turning it around looks like Kemba is is back to not only being like a guy who scores 20 sometimes, he needs to be a guy, for the Celtics to be good, he needs to be a guy who could go off for 30. And it's just like, he hasn't looked like that. He looks like a guy who could give you 20 on any given night, but they need him to be like a potential, he doesn't have to score 30 every night, but the threat needs to be there. Other teams need to feel like he could. Grant needs to be better and he needs to be able to make it on the floor. Neesmith needs to like, you know, be like a reliable contributor. I I mean, you're just asking a lot of things from like guys who haven't necessarily shown that so far this year. And I I think about next, I've I've been talking about this, you know, I feel like I've been talking about this a lot. Um, This is probably why people are starting to be like, oh, Gino time's a bunch of doomers. You know, I, I think about next year and it's like, I'm starting to wonder if the Celtics shouldn't just put all their focus on that because Next year, you know, presumably all your young players will be better. And if they're not, you'll have some answers. You know, if, if a young player doesn't get better next year, you'll know it might be time to cut the cord there. Like, again, the offseason, you'll have better options for the TPE. You hate to overreact to one loss. So I'm overreacting here to 15 losses uh, in 30 tries. I don't know. I, I like I don't want to be like the overreactive, you know, hot take guy. But like, I feel like that's kind of where we're, we're coming down to right now is like this. This team lost a lot of talent and now they're not that good. And that's a problem. Yeah, and so the last thing I wanted to address from your initial comments was (laughs) about Brad. And I like Brad. I don't think Brad should be fired. But I do have a criticism of him, like, outside of lineup decisions. And I think Brad is partly responsible for the vibes as a coach. And maybe this is an old school way of looking at things, But I was listening to Jalen Brown on the Dove Men's Care YouTube channel. He was actually paired with Aaron Gordon, of all people. And anyway, he was talking about how this season, the two of them were both talking about how this season, it's been really difficult to like find your why every day, just because of how short the off season was and how condensed of a schedule they have. And then there's no fans. There's so many back-to-backs. It's just very mentally exhausting. Like both of them admitted that they're mentally exhausted and you really have to rely on your love for the game to like get up each night and like stay motivated. I was like, yeah, like that makes sense. And this was going to feed into positivity hour because I was going to say like, oh, you know, maybe come postseason, it's easy to get up for every game because it's the playoffs. So that's what I was going to say, like could be a positive thing for the Celtics. But then as I start thinking about it and now obviously seeing them lose again, I'm like, I feel like part of this is sort of the coach's job in trying to motivate your players and trying to get them to treat every game as if like it's an important one because it does matter for your seating. And like, I mean, it's technically still early, but 30 games in, we're approaching the halfway point and the Celtics are sixth in the East and there's 
one game separating them from the Pacers, Raptors, Knicks, and Hornets. I mean, games do matter. And especially when you're trying to build chemistry and get things going. So that then also reminded me of what Danny said on the radio. And he was like, I don't think this team is taking every game seriously enough. Like, I think they need to be more mature about that. And I think that they need to treat every opponent with respect. And I don't see them doing that. Like Danny said that on the radio and he was like, but Brad does that. That was his defense is that Brad approaches every team as if like they could win. Why can't Brad then communicate that to the players. And I know that maybe it's like, again, a traditionalist view it might be like a little bit old fashioned, but I do think that part of Brad's job is to try and get these players to buy in every night. And if he can't do that, he needs to convey that importance to the player leaders on this team. So that way they can convey the importance of it to the rest of the team. Cause clearly it's an issue because it's happened multiple times. Like it's not like an isolated incident at this point where they just like underestimated the wizards. Like they've lost to inferior teams multiple times. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I hear that argument. I mean, with, with, with the Brad stuff, like, I, I guess for me, it's like, okay, if not Brad Stevens, and I know this is kind of like, like who then? And I know this is the argument that I, that like, you know, that I hate for like the TPE. They're like, oh, like, so who should they trade for? And it's like, I, like, I don't know. Like, you know, but like, seriously though, is there like, do you really think that there's somebody who's going to do a better job than Brad Stevens? Are you just mixing things up to mix things up? Because I think Brad Stevens is a good, like a, I think he's a very good basketball coach. So if you're firing him, you better be able to find somebody who is also a very good basketball coach and is going to be able to get through to the players. Because if, yeah, if you don't I do think, those two things, then why are you firing, again, a pretty, like a good basketball coach? I think you can critique a coach and I think you can ask that he do things differently without saying like he should be fired. Like, okay, yes. That's sort of just saying like Brad sucks, so deal with it. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, like it, <laughs> there's definitely middle ground between those two things. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, like you can certainly critique plenty of things. I, I mean, I think Brad would probably agree. Um, but but I guess that's the, like, I, I guess that's the argument that I would make in response to all the people who are, who are yelling that Brad should be fired. I don't think Brad should be fired. I do think that there's a lot. Yeah. Of, I, I think that what you're saying is a much more interesting, measured and reasonable thing to say, which is, okay, he's still got to try to get through to these guys. Like that, that needs to happen. And, you know, he says that they haven't tuned him out I mean, I do wonder, like, to an extent, like, how much it's like, it might just not be a coaching thing. Like, it, like again, this team might just not be that good. If, if that's the case, honestly, then Danny didn't do Brad any favors by saying that, like, the team isn't, you know, that the team isn't getting up for games. Because it, it might just be that they're not that good. That that feels like it's it's within reason. Right. So just sticking more to just the Pelicans game, I think one of my conclusions was, like, Robert Williams clearly deserves more playing time. And Brad sort of addressed this before the game by saying that they're monitoring his hip and they're trying to manage his minutes so that way he can play more down the road. I don't think that was just Brad like appeasing us or just trying to put something out there. Like I do think that's what they're doing, especially because when Rob was asked about his hip after the game, he acknowledged that his hip sometimes has episodes. So if he's even saying that, that means that like the hip is still a lingering issue because he easily could have said like, no, I'm good to go. Like I'm a hundred percent. And he chose to say that his hip is having episodes was the word that he used. So I do think it's smart that they're managing that appropriately, but I think Rob is showing why he is deserving of more minutes down the line. I have no clue what the timeline is with his hip. 
in addition, Rob was like, yeah, I think more playing time would help me like understand defense more and like understand what to do and like understand where to be sort of like what we've been saying, like Rob just needs more reps and hopefully he'll get them. My, here's my thing with Rob. I, I went back and looked at some of the reporting, like, you know, from the, the, the draft, my guy, Fred Katz had like the, you know, kind of broke the story about like his vascular issues. It got me kind of thinking like the Rob is, is good enough right now that and I, I, like you, I believe what Brad is saying about like the Celtics are trying to make sure that he can play later. It seems to me that like one, one of the things with the vascular um, issue was that they said like, if this kind of keeps cropping up, he's probably going to have to have a procedure done. I wonder if right now what the Celtics are doing is trying to, you know, avoid getting to a point where he needs procedures. And I almost kind of wonder if like Rob is good enough. And I think we're getting like a sense that Rob can be like, I mean, he can be like, he blocked Brandon Ingram for behind the three point line today. That was wild. Like I was ready to say some reckless things on this podcast before they lost about Rob. I love it. I just, I'm starting to wonder if he's so good that, or if he can be so good that the Celtics need to just kind of like bite the bullet. And if he like, you know, if something needs to be done to like make it so that he can be on the floor 30 minutes, then you need to do it. He, he helps your team a lot. Like he's a good player and like on both ends, he can, and he can be a really good player on both ends. And Rob Williams ceiling is so high and so much higher than Daniel Tysus. And like, I, I think he can kind of be the future of your big man position. I think he can be like a genuine part of your future core but he's got to be on the floor more. And if he can't be right now, then you need to figure out what it is that's going to get him to a point where he can be on the floor more. Did you glean any more details about like what this procedure would be and like what the recovery time is or not really? So actually, I I think that it's, it might be a separate issue unless the vascular stuff is tied to the hip stuff. Um, I'm more just saying in general, I think that's, I think that that's kind of the case. I think that whatever you need to do to make it so that Rob is a 30 minute a game player instead of a 18 minute a game player I, I think you need to examine it at least because he's he's that good. Right. No, I agree. And he blocked both Brandon Ingram at the three-point line and Zion Williamson at the hoop. And like Tristan Thompson had his moments, I guess. I thought I, I in my did. notes I had I had it down that I, I was I was gonna rave about how well he defended Zion in the first half. Like But the yeah. problem with in this, I guess, leads into other things too. It's like the problem is that Stan Van Gundy made an adjustment with Zion and they had no answer. And then he made it an adjustment with how they're defending Jalen and Jason. And then the Celtics had no answer. And it's like, if you're going to be that easy to scheme against, like this is not going to go very far. That That's like the whole Celtics thing, right? Is that like, <laughs> there's too many instances of that. There's too many, like, if this doesn't go perfectly, it's not going to work. <laughs> like, that's not a great way to, to have built a team, I guess. I don't know. Like it's not, yeah, no, like to have built a team. I don't think Danny is like super, like, I mean, he, he literally said that like this, the team he built isn't good enough. Like, I don't think he's like super pleased with how things went either. Tristan Thompson was not, clearly was not like what they needed. Um, right. And that's why he didn't play at all. Like down the stretch, like in overtime or really at the end of regulation, they were trying to do that, like swap in, swap out thing with just like, is not sustainable. And I don't think it's something that they want to continue in the long run. Like, I think ideally you have Rob in those moments. Yep. Rob just... He's clearly the superior option and I I get why they have to manage the minutes. I'm glad Brad said that because otherwise I think there'd be a lot more yelling. I get what Jared Weiss was saying two episodes ago when he came on the podcast and he was saying like, you know, the problem with Rob is you don't know what you're going to get. You know, he's going to impact the game. It just might be negative. I would agree with that. 
as recent as the bubble. But this season, I think Rob has really turned a corner and has been much more consistent on both ends. Yeah, he still has his moments. I think he, I mean, he didn't because they weren't all called, but he should have picked up all six of his fouls against the Hawks in like a 10 minute span. He definitely has his moments, but he's been way more consistent and I trust him way more. And I think Brad trusts him way more too. You don't know what Rob is going to give you, but you do know that Rob is going to give you some things and they're going to be positive. And that, that is, I think the big difference from last year, last year, you like, I mean, Rob might come out and, you know, <laughs> just like let Serge Ibaka shoot endless wide open three pointers for like literally an entire game. Like, but there, but there is something there this year. There, there is more consistency. There is like the positive. And then the more he plays, the more the positives are like strung together. You know, the, the more you see like three spectacular lobs in one game, the more you see like him blocking Brandon Ingram and him blocking Zion. Didn't he block Zion twice on one yes. play? Like, yeah. Like the more that he plays, the more you see stuff like that. And, and I mean, and then defensively, you know, the more that he blocks Zion twice in one play, the more he's going to gain a reputation as a shot blocker and the less people are going to want to attack him. So like, like all of these things are going to work together. And that's, again, that's why I think you have to, whatever it is that you have to do to make Rob Williams a 30 minute a game player, I think you have to do it. Agreed. The last note that I had from the game was down the stretch when the Celtics needed buckets uh, at the end of regulation, overtime, they went to Tatum. Part of me, especially at the end of regulation when they needed those buckets, I was like, I wonder if they're going to go to Jalen. And that's not something I would have thought last year. Like Tatum was clearly the guy that they would go to in those moments. But this year, because Jalen has taken uh, pretty big strides offensively and has proven to be aggressive, obviously. And there was a time where Tatum was out and he had to be the guy and he lived up to it. Like, it's like maybe they'll try and like mix things up and go to Jalen. But no, they went to Tatum. And maybe part of that was Jalen was seven for 23, three for 10, but like Tatum was 10 for 24, three for seven. So it's not like it was, a, he, Tatum was necessarily like much hotter than Jalen. To Tatum's credit, he made a fantastic play at the end of regulation. Like he inbounded the ball close to the half court line and there were five seconds on the clock. And I thought he was going to just hoist a three and he went in for the floater and it was a beautiful shot and it went in like that was impressive. I do wonder like how Jalen feels, especially in a loss. I think after a win, you can be like, well, we won the game team first, things like that. But I do wonder whether, and I'm not trying to like sow any discontent or like tension between the two players, but I do wonder how he feels about always being the second option, if an option at all. Tatum very clearly is their first option in those moments. And I do think that, I don't know, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, so Tatum is obviously like, you know, getting more and more of these sort of like, you know, last minute reps. I thought that Tatum showed a lot of growth by attacking the rim instead of uh, instead of settling for the three. I mean, there was that game earlier this season where he he did launch a three and everybody just like lost their minds, like just absolutely <laughs> just everybody just absolutely filled their diapers for like 24 hours straight about it. Which to be clear, not to like be a fence sitter, but there are instances where the sidestep three is the right shot. Like an isolation oh, yes. <laughs> Tatum isn't always a bad shot, but in this instance, it was the correct read for him to do what he did. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, he's definitely like, he's growing he's making like, you know, the right play a lot of the time. I think the other thing too, the other reason why it makes sense to put the ball in his hands first is because the Pelicans were doubling him every time he got the ball. So like, um, that, I mean, that's why Kemba got all those open looks. I don't think that the, I, I don't know that they would have doubled Jalen. It might not have created the same advantage. 
And, you know, like if Jalen is frustrated, that, that would make sense because he's been, I mean, honestly, like, you know, like you, I'm not trying to like start anything, but I think he's maybe been the better player of the two of them this year, but teams are, you know, throwing more defensive attention at Tatum. So like, it's tough. Like, I, I don't know what the solution is there. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those, like, I don't know. It's one of those questions that I'm glad I'm not Brad. I'm glad that I don't have to answer it because yeah, like I would understand why Jalen is frustrated, but I would also understand why Tatum is getting the ball because it's, it's an advantage every single time. Yeah. They're in an interesting spot. So in terms of what's next for the Celtics, I mean, they really just passed the soft spot of their schedule. So, I mean, the Mavericks have had a tough season. They're going to play the Mavericks, the Hawks again, the Pacers, Wizards again, the Clippers and the Raptors. That's everything before the All-Star break. Do you think the Celtics enter the All-Star break above 500? Ooh, I think they're going to be 500. Okay. I think they'll beat Washington. I think they'll beat Atlanta. (laughs) I don't know about the rest of them. I don't know. I think they might be below 500. I think they'll squeak out a win against one of the Mavericks, Pacers, Clippers, Raptors. Actually, the thing is, though, is like Smart's not coming back for any of these games. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. Yeah, Yeah. before the game, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Smart is probably out until after the All-Star break, which makes sense. I mean, there's no point in rushing him back. Definitely. For those that might think like Tom and I are like very negative in sports radio, blame the Celtics, which might be a sports radio thing to say, but like we were ready to be positive today. And then they blew a 24 point lead in the third quarter. I'm not shirking all the blame here because Tom and I do love a good rant and Tom and I do like to be negative about certain things and sometimes can be very fatalist, but blame the Celtics on this very day because I was ready for this to be positivity hour and I wanted to rave about Rob and talk about Aaron Neesmith and, you know, maybe the Celtics don't need to make a move, but what are you supposed to say after they blow a 24 point lead midway through the third quarter? I had all these stats lined up that showed that like certain things were starting to like trend upwards i had stats about like tristan thompson and daniel tice playing together like all of a sudden was looking like a little better stats of you know about kemba for for the last like three years there's always been like something that you could point to and be like i think this is going to normalize and i think the celtics are going to be good when it happens you know and and this year's team the difference is that this year's team it's like jalen and jason have played this well and they are 15 and 15 i don't like like but like you know i was gonna say if tatum like you know starts to get better after covid he still had 32 points tonight. He had 32 points and he sent the game to overtime with an awesome play. And when they double teamed him, the Celtics just like couldn't finish the game off. I mean, like Nicole said, like we're not trying to be like, you know, some like sports radio hot take. It's just that like the Celtics are bad, you know, like, and maybe they get better. Maybe they do, but like they, they've been a 500 team. They have looked, a, I think they've looked a little bit worse than a 500 team, especially over the last stretch. I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't know what else to call it. It's just kind of what it is right now. Yeah. Over their last 10 games, they're four and six. Obviously there was that stat a while back that they had lost 10 of their last 15. Like they started the season eight and three and now they're 15 and 15. So obviously a lot more of the losing has happened in this half of the season. So it's, it's hard not to react game to game, but like clearly the losing is happening at like an aggregate, like it's, it's happening a lot. It's happening frequently. Look, I, I, maybe this is, I think this, this is probably the best way to encapsulate how I feel about them. It's not that they can't turn it around. It's that there is an obvious trend in one specific direction and it's a bad one. That's what it is to me is like, if you want to make the case that sometime down the line, Kemba's going to be healthier and Jason Tatum's going to be healthier and he and Jalen and Kemba are all going to figure out how to play together. Fine. I'm willing to hear that argument, 
but like the trend right now is that they are not <laughs> like playing good basketball and that um, you can't trust them in the fourth quarter and that, you know, like, like Jalen and Jason are just kind of playing my turn basketball and it's not their fault. It's because like, they don't necessarily trust everybody else because nobody else has given them anything to trust right now. So like, those are the trends and we're just trying to talk about the trends. Yeah. I think that's the perfect way of putting it. Honestly, like if people want to reach out and hit us up and like, let us know, like if, if you think we're overreacting, if you think X, Y, and Z, like, let us know, like, we're curious, like, we're just kind of telling you guys what we think. So. All right, guys. Well, we will leave it there. Like we said, feel free to let us know what you think. And uh, we will talk to you again later this week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.